I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Name is the pronunciation of your last name? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this is going to be fun. We uh, we we are talking to another author, um, and this time a book again, a book about uh, mental health, um, but a little bit of a different spin on it compared to what we talked about with our friend Donna uh, a few weeks back. Um, Sabrina Benim um, Benim Benim Benim. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Considering, you literally said your name. Considering you just two minutes ago. Cleared it up and you were like, sweet, got it. <laughs> got it. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on the CF. Um, Sabrina Benayme, uh, your book, I Love You, Call Me Back, uh, is available uh, now, considering when this comes out, um, on sale October 19th. And um, we are really glad to have you here in the studio via zoom um <laughs> but why don't you take a, a moment to uh give our listeners a bit of an introduction into who you are and um where where the uh where the book sort of stems from because it's not just a book it's a it's a book of poetry correct right yeah so uh yeah i'm sabrina i um about I want to say like seven years ago now, I got into Poetry Slam because I had a tumor in my throat that um, everybody joked was like me swallowing all my feelings because I always secretly wrote and never shared anything. (laughs) So I got into sharing and I had a poem go viral uh, called Explaining My Depression to My Mother. So that's kind of what's got me talking about mental, mental health and stuff like that. And then this collection specifically stems from a lot of things. It stems from loneliness. It stems from dealing with a diagnosis that my mom got that was really heavy for us as a family and had a lot of uncertainty. It stems from, I guess, pandemic um, times. I, I have to say that it's, it's written from a standpoint of like, this world that's unfathomable outside and you kind of are stuck with yourself and have to deal with that. And for me, that of course looks at mental illness. So that's kind of who I am. I write a lot about that. I'm, I'm looking at stigma and saying like, no, thank you. <laughs> so that's kind of my, my vibe. Yeah. No, thank you. Is, uh, <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a great uh, uh, episode title right there. Stigma. No, thank you. Um, uh, can we, can we just take it back a little bit? The, so did, was this a metaphor, a tumor in your throat? Or did you legit no, have a tumor in your throat? I legit had a tumor, yeah. Um, it came out in 2013. 
what was the what was it was it a like was it, it was, a benign yeah. tumor or it was yeah it was benign and it was the size of a squash ball right in the middle of my throat like it, ah. it literally looked like I had an Adam's apple Whoa. oh my god why why yeah. do they always use ball analogies when they talk about because the size of tumors shaped more or less that way <laughs> I mean, I would, that would be my guess. Is it, yeah. is it because like there's like uh, like standards to certain size balls? So like if you get a squash ball, you know exactly how big it is. If right. you get like a basketball, it. you yeah. know exactly yeah. how big it is. Because like so. every time we hear somebody talk about a tumor, they're like, it was the size of name the ball. Yeah, and it's like a, it's like when you, if you're pregnant, it's like you know it's week ten. Your your baby is the size of a kiwi. That's kind and of then it's like yeah, and then get, it's like an orange, and then it's like a squash, and then it's like you know it's, they should you know. use they should use balls though instead of fruits and vegetables because balls are more like they're always the exact same yes. size, right? You know, like I guess like, so. There's there's a lot of variables. To, Let's uh, make a stand. <laughs> there should be a standard <laughs> ball change, description. Change the way they describe <laughs> the size of children <laughs> who are growing in stomachs to the same. We use for tumors. Okay, yes. bring it back. Um, uh, so, Sabrina, <laughs> sorry, Sabrina. I, I, uh, how did you? I, can we can we talk about the tumor for just a little bit? Um, uh, is that you know? Obviously, I mean, I don't, I want to, I don't want to beat this ball thing to death, but uh, a squash ball in your throat, pretty substantial size ball. Um, is that something that, like, did you start to notice it? over time as it was getting bigger and bigger, like to that standard squash ball size or, or was it just kind of one day you woke up and you're like, what the fuck is going on with my, with my throat? Yeah. So squash balls, like about the diameter of my pinky finger, just for reference. And, uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the standard. <laughs> the standard. And, uh, wow. yeah, no, it actually was like this weird party trick where I'd be like, yo, like feel my throat. If I swallow it, it's like this thing is inside of it. It's crazy. Um, and everyone was like, that's not, <laughs> no, yeah, Sabrina, right, like check right. that out. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely felt it when I swallowed and stuff like that as it grew. So I, I went and got it checked out because I felt it. Yeah. And the removal was like, I, I take it was surgery or. Yeah, it was really simple. Actually, when I found out about it, the doctor came in with like a headlamp and I was like, oh, this is not a good not a good energy <laughs> for me. And he just came in and was like, well, we're just going to take it right out. And then you're going to go about your day. Mm. I was like, Oh, cool. Okay. Wow. Very simple. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was I, really simple. So, I, so uh, c- considering the simplicity of that, did, did the, did that experience play into um, your, your like mental health journey at all? Like, was there, was there, you know, like, do you look back on that experience and, and see how that, played a role in your in in struggling with your mental health or was that just a completely separate thing that uh that ties into like getting into the slam poetry I think that more ties into me like sharing my work than Mm. it does um my mental health just because uh, I don't know it it (laughs) wasn't so much it was more this idea of like oh maybe I did do this to myself like if it's Mm. not malignant if it's not you know like what what why is it here? The doctors couldn't explain why I got this tumor. And I was like, maybe it really was because I held everything in for so long. And Mm. so it kind of made me re-examine that aspect of my life. So Mm. going back, going back further than that, obviously we know, you know, we've already mentioned it. You're a published uh, poet. What was, what was your, what, like what kind of shape uh, did your writing take the writing that you weren't sharing? Like how, what, like where did that 
where was that fostered? Was it something that you just kind of, that, that was just something that you enjoy doing in your free time? What was it something that you were like passionate about, but you know, you had a fear around sharing it. What was that? How did that grow and take shape up until you get the tumor and, and decide to start sharing it? I think a lot of it is just navigating. Like I, I obviously have had depression and anxiety for a long time. And I think I, before I was diagnosed, it was a lot of it was just me navigating it through writing, um, trying to figure out like, are these feelings normal? Is this, how, how do I even feel? Um, and like, what's going on with me? And so writing really took that on for me. It was very therapeutic um, throughout like high school, I would say. And then it wasn't until my like later teen years, early twenties, where I really like started crafting things where I was like, okay, I'm going to write pieces or I'm going to put together a collection. And I really did it secretly. Like I really didn't share it, but I was always working on Mm. something. Mm. Did it make you feel, did it make you feel like when you wrote something down, um, in, in the context of you saying that you were kind of like exploring, um, how you were feeling and whether that was, you know, norm, quote unquote, normal, um, and, and navigating, you know, depression and anxiety, did it make you feel like you could look at your writing and go and, and sort of see it from like a, almost like a bird's eye view of yourself? Like, I feel like that when I read old stuff of mine, like mm. I'm almost like, that's a different person and I'm observing that person. Absolutely. And, or sometimes you're like, oh, that's how I feel about that thing. Like I did not know that until I wrote this line and mm-hmm realized it so yeah it's such a it's such a uh it's like that that feeling it's very hard to um i mean it's i guess it's easy to describe in the way that like you're looking uh, kind of like objectively looking at yourself but it's such a weird feeling to look at something that you've written and think that uh, that that's a different person but it's the same Mm. person sometimes or a different version of you sometimes it's scary too like i i know i i started taking a a visual journaling class a couple weeks ago and um i've been sketching a lot and like sort of putting words to sketches and really just sort of like using it as like my own sort of meditation to you know connect with some of my deeper thoughts that live within my head. And I, I go to therapy too. And so I talk about a lot of these things with my therapist, but I find that um, journaling sometimes for me can be really scary because it's sort of like, a, like once I write something down on the page, it also feels kind of real because it no longer just lives in my head. It, it, it now exists like in reality as well. And Sabrina, I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm interested to know, for you, like, it, like, what has that experience been like, you know, sort of, because I think people are under the impression that sometimes it's easier to write down your thoughts to sort of get them out. But I find personally that it can be scary. Um, what's that experience been like for you? Yeah, it's, it's, especially for this collection, like thinking about what my mom was going through, like having to sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to write how I feel about what will happen if my mom might die (laughs) like that's terrifying I don't want to even think about that let alone you know work through it and craft it into a piece but it feels almost like that fear of it is kind of what motivates me like that's the urgency that fear of getting it onto the page and Mm -hmm. once it's real I can once it's on the page I can kind of craft it into a different story if I want so like for example a lot of the love relationship in this collection is like many relationships amalgamated into this one Mm. narrative so I don't give too much away of my personal life but also 
it's there. It's compelling. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what it's about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm always, I'm, I, I have this like weird feeling of like when I write something down that even if I write it for myself, like somebody else will read it, and then, and then, but like the, the, the interesting thing is that you're writing this down with the intent that somebody else is going to read it. So, how does that play into how you, you share? Oh. I don't think about that at all. The first couple drafts are solely for me. Like I don't yeah. even think mm. about sharing the poem until it's in like the third draft. And I'm like, okay, is this, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> is it shareable? <laughs> or is this like a journal entry that I just needed to kind of get out and work <laughs> through myself? <laughs> how, <Right. laughs> how did you feel about the first time that you shared anything that you wrote? Like, did you, did you know, like, okay, this is the piece. This feels ready to be given to the world. Or or did or did that experience come with like a whole host full of self-doubt before, you know, stepping in front of an audience and 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 actually sharing it? So this is really embarrassing to admit, but in high school I used to post my poetry on a dashboard confessional like website board Fuck yeah yes. yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. like, so, an, oh, like a like a tribute like a like a band tribute no. yeah, no. they had like a like a board a messaging board right. that you could like share work and i would just like secretly post poems on there uh like anonymously i had like yeah. a really weird screen name and it was just yeah like that's what i did and so i think i always wanted to share it because there's this Ooh. thing in the back of your mind where you're like am i a genius you know like that like you write a line and you're like, this is really good. I mm. think, I don't yeah. know. I just need one other person to tell me it might be. Uh, and so I always kind of wanted to share it, but I, I never wanted to share it as myself. So the first time I started sharing as myself, it was this weird relief actually, yeah. where it felt like, oh, I, I can do this and integrate all of these selves into one. That's kind probably, of cool. probably the perfect place to like be vulnerable with a group of people. <laughs> I just feel like the dashboard confessional listener community is probably like a very supportive and like kind group of people. I was listening to dashboard the other day while I was driving. It was really nice. I haven't listened to dashboard confessional in a very long time. It's so uh, it's emotional. Yeah, it <laughs> yes. definitely, definitely brings me back to an, an older time, a, 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 a younger time. Uh, yeah, go for it. Jeff. The, uh, the book, uh, I love you. Call me back. You, you touch on, and, and we've sort of touched on this, but you touch on a lot of, um, a lot of like universal experiences, um, the loss of a relationship, um, the, the loneliness that, that comes with, um, isolation that I think a lot of us have experienced a lot of over the last year and a half. Um, and and also the anxiety of caring for a loved one from afar uh, who's dealing with a you know a, a serious diagnosis. Um, this was was it, it was your mother that that had come down with uh, a diagnosis of some sort. Yeah, my mom has a very large aortic aneurysm. Oh wow! And yeah. the the process of writing about these things that are so universal um what it like what is the what is your process for diving into that kind of territory you know i i feel like you were you kind of touched on it when you were talking to brian there a moment ago but like you you're writing you're writing this poetry based on your own personal experience but is there a point where 
where the the writing process starts to shift or evolve based on what you're reading to to sort of like relate to a more general audience or or is it really just fully personal knowing that we all go through these experiences in life and there's there's going to be something that's gleaned from it regardless of who you are so i think i have two answers to that kind of the first is yeah like i think the more specific you can be the kind of more you go into the universal um in a weird way in writing it kind of works like that for me so if i can be really specific and pinpoint something it tends to kind of hit the nerve on the bigger picture which mm. i like and then the flip of that is yeah I, I definitely add in details in the editing process to make it a little bit more relatable like i did not bake any bread last year but there is um a comment about baking, right. uh, baking bread <laughs> in right, the book right. because that's what everyone else was doing you know <laughs> that's um, great everyone everyone found their uh, love of uh um fostering a, uh, fostering a culture yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. what's it called I a horrible joke i make all the time where it was just like everyone was baking bread and i was just getting baked <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's like just we a you know it was like same thing what, what's it called a uh what's it called uh where the two words have the same meaning not a, uh, an antonym is it an homonym? homonym 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 where two where the same word has the same meaning or a different meaning like what was like there, there's something about um, there's something that is emerging now, um, and I would say that your work, um, that your work slots into this uh, category of, you know, work that has come from like a very, I, I don't, even though we are collectively all going through the pandemic, and all the you know the waves and the lockdowns and then the restrictions easing and then the lockdowns or in some places just lockdowns and that's that and you know just the shifts and ebbs and flows of it all and there's artwork that is like emerging out of this what will ultimately be like an era mm. and 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 stuff that is like very um like very poignant and and I, I don't mean that to this to be comparative at all um, but like, for example, Bo Burnham's, um, special inside, inside. Yeah. and, yeah. and, you know, something that, you know, you never, he, he, you know, he, in his, he, ne he never mentions COVID never mentions pandemic, but like, there's so many emotions and feelings that everybody mm -hmm. felt as a result of being inside and all that stuff. Like, um, we, are you, um, I guess like the question that I'm trying to kind of dig out here is like, are you, were you, um, were you writing this like in, in full awareness of like of that, that this is, this is so um, like, this is so specific to this, to this time and place that people who are living right now will feel so close to, because I feel like the last year and a half has been, you know, aside from all the division that has arisen from this at least in the first like six months of the pandemic is probably the most collective the world has ever felt Ooh. in in a very very long time mm. you know like was there a sense of that of that collectiveness in this in in your work like were you aware of that that like almost everybody <laughs> almost everybody in the at least in the western world was going through like everything you're writing about pretty much. I mean, maybe not the diagnosis of your mother, but the sentiment of being inside and, and, and that experience. Well, actually, so 
the year before pandemic, so 2019, I lived alone um, long distance from my family. So I was already kind of navigating this kind mm. of isolation and loneliness of going through the world alone. And then the pandemic hit and I had to come back to Toronto um, just because of, you know, I didn't want to be far away from my family during such an uncertain time. And then, mm-hmm. and then my mom's diagnosis came. And so it, it really felt like I was going through my own journey up until it hit. And then once we all got into this collective place, it just felt like I had had start on it almost. Like I had already been writing about being lonely and being isolated and being far away from people that I loved. So it, it just felt like a natural place to take the collection. Right, right. Um, in like last summer, I guess, when I was really writing the bulk of it. But mm. it, it definitely was something I thought about again in the editing process. Like how do I make this relatable in a way that it's also timeless like it doesn't only speak to isolation in a, a pandemic but also speaks to isolation in a bigger yeah world yeah yeah because i think that i think that 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 the things that everyone has felt a, a, a very large uh <laughs> proportion of people have felt over the last 18 months is something that a lot of people experience all the time yeah, and now and now it's like everyone like everyone else has kind of been brought into the fold. I think that you know the experience of having depression and anxiety. I think you've got a a much bigger swath of the population that's going. I understand how that feels on some level now. You know, I don't yeah. feel I don't feel I don't feel as disc. You know, if you're someone who's never experienced that before, you're probably thinking to yourself, "I'm not. I don't feel nearly as disconnected from that sentiment anymore." for the people in my life that I maybe used to not really understand when they said that they were depressed or anxious or, you know, they couldn't do this or they couldn't do that because they felt they were feeling, you know, they, they were feeling their symptoms coming on and they were dealing with that. And now you've got, you know, a way bigger understanding, I think, whether that's conscious or subconscious well, of what mm-hmm. it feels like to, to be there. When, when did your, when did your struggles with depression begin? Uh, high school. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I had a lot of struggles in high school. I actually ended up um, like bouncing around schools in the 11th grade because things were just not good. And I I didn't want to go to school at all. Um, And I was competitively dancing throughout that time. Just I I did that growing up and it was like really the only thing I wanted to do. And that that was so it was so clear that something was wrong because I only wanted to do this one thing that made me feel good. And I didn't want to partake in life otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, at that, at that point when you were going through that, did you know that it was depression or is it sort of hindsight looking back? No, it's hindsight. Definitely. Um, and my mom and I like that, the original poem explaining my depression to my mom, I look back on those years as like the big inspiration for it because it was just like, we just argued constantly. And I came from a family that was very like Italian hard headed, like you don't go to therapy, you just figure it out for yourself. And so that, that was a lot of my upbringing was fighting it. And then it wasn't until I started sharing my work that I then got diagnosed because I started telling the truth about how I was feeling because I didn't Mm. feel shame around it anymore.
Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts it's it's interesting i i'm i want to ask how you how you felt after you started um talking about it but i want to preface that question by um quickly talking about this the show on netflix called untold um there's an episode it's just like docu-series about all these like wild and crazy sporting events but there's one um episode in particular about a tennis player named marty fish and I won't spoil it, but he basically ended up going through um, severe, he, he was diagnosed with severe anxiety disorder. And um, at this tennis training camp when he was growing up and f- 15 years old, it was always about um, never presenting a weak image because your opponent will take advantage of that. People will not see you as being a talented athlete and so on and so on and so on. So this actually fed into this idea that he didn't want to ever tell anybody about the things that were going on in his head because he felt like that was a sign of weakness. And um, there was this really like profound moment in the show where he talked about the uh, benefits of opening up. And when you start talking about it, how it starts to finally um, make you feel like you have this sort of uh, control over this thing that has been controlling you. And I know for me, I was, I messaged you guys last night and I, I mentioned that I had a bit of a rough day yesterday, but I feel like I've been in sort of a, a period of depression for the last little bit. And um, it's, it's hard because you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to tell people because you feel like then you're burdening them with that thing that you're dealing with. But um, it is really interesting because when I when I texted you guys last night and said, I'm having a bit of a rough day, both of you guys sent me messages back and said, like, hey, if you want to talk, we're here for you. And, like, it feels good to know that you have a support system in place. And I guess, like, to come back to the question that I wanted to ask you is that when you started talking about it, did it, did it really sort of make, did, did you feel like that was the right decision in terms of how it made you feel being able to open up about what you were going through? Oh, yeah. When I started talking about it, I actually found out my grandmother, my own grandmother, had been on antidepressants since she was in her 50s. And then my aunt was also in therapy. And my cousin was in therapy. And nobody in my family talked about it. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) We all deal with this. And none of us are talking about this. Like Now, not only do I feel closer, but I feel like way more comfortable Mm. um discussing it because there's someone who gets it and I really felt so alone before I spoke about it and once I started talking about it just the amount of people that were like I actually feel that way too what happened like and then when we could discuss it it just makes you feel so relieved um Mm -hmm. totally how did you find those things out about your family like who was the who was the person that that told you about that so my explaining my depression poem went viral and that's how everybody in my life found out I had depression. Mm. Um, it was pretty wild. Actually, I like had done the poem 
months earlier, didn't remember because I had a panic attack during the performance. Mm -hmm. And months later, the people who filmed it, Button Poetry, were like, oh, we really want to post this. And I was like, sure, I don't remember it. I'm sure it's fine if you want to post it. And then they posted it and everyone in my life was like, oh, you're, it, it, it put this thing around me where I was like, became this depression girl, um, which is like the person who talked about it. And it was so wild because it actually sent me into a depression spiral. Mm. Um, once everyone knew I had it because then everyone wanted to talk to me about it. And it was like this thing I had been hiding for so long. And mm. now it was like all that I was. And it was a very weird transition, to be honest. Mm. Did it feel like you were, did it did, like in the sense that you found out that your, sorry, did you say it was your grandmother that you found out? Yeah. Like, did it, did you get a sense that, um, that because this went, you know, not only public, but, you know, viral, very, the, the most public, um, that it like gave permission to anybody in your family to talk about, like, did it, did anybody open up or was it, or was it like, you know, whisper, whisper, your grandmother was on antidepressants too, or was it more no, of an it was, opening? It was an opening for sure. She called me like crying when she saw the video and oh, was wow. like, I had no idea. I deal with this too. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Wow. It was, yeah. And, that, and that's gotta be like, that's gotta be pretty challenging for because because that mm. that age group that that um <laughs> is, is it that generation is different it's just a mm. totally different yeah, ball stigma game. around oh, yeah. like there's right. just so much stigma around my great my my wife's grandfather is on antidepressants and has been on antidepressants for a few years and he doesn't know Whoa. they wow. didn't they didn't tell him because they knew he wouldn't take them so wait what what does he I think he's taking? I don't know. Sugar pills. I don't know. He, he's <laughs> ninety. Wild. He's ninety six. So uh, like I I don't know. I mean I, I guess he's I, probably got a few pills to take. Uh, yeah he's yeah he's got you know he's got the he's Monday, got the Tuesday, he's Wednesday. got the yeah. Yeah, right. stuff, stuff, stuff. Yeah, he's got the right. he's got the little um, pan of pills. Uh, Sabrina, I wanted to ask. You said this sort of this event sort of spiraled you um, into a depressive episode, and everybody wanted to talk about it. And like it's sort of before that, I was talking about how talking about it makes you feel better. But it's interesting because when Taylor and Jer sent me a message last night to ask me if I wanted to talk about things, I, I didn't want to. But, you know, I, I felt like there was a difference between wanting to talk about it then in that moment and knowing that I have the option to do it, if that makes sense. Because I find that, like, you know, the the tagline of our podcast for the first number of years that we started doing this was like, let's talk about it. And, like, it was always about talking about illness and like talk about, and especially in terms of mental illness, like talk about things because it makes you feel better. And I believe that that's true, but I also believe that we only have a certain capacity to do that too. And, and sometimes talking about it actually can make it worse. And I think it, there's this very fine line in my, from my perspective of like, awareness of knowing that you can talk about it and it can help you feel better, but also maybe just not for a little bit too, until you've had a chance to talk about things. Does that resonate with you? Totally. The relief of knowing you can talk about it is sometimes enough. You like, you don't actually yeah. have to talk about it. You just know that you can and that's enough. Um, and that, that came with sharing, but then having people come at me at times when I, yeah, when I just didn't have mm. the capacity 
to do that felt like a lot. And also it wasn't just people I knew, it was strangers as well. Yeah, so like right. having strangers come up to you and just like break every barrier yeah. <laughs> known and just be like, hey, let's talk about that thing, you, <laughs> yeah. that panic attack you had. It can be a little bit uh, rattling when you yeah, were never sure. a person who did that. Yeah. Did, yeah. did you get your diagnosis? Of, like, did you get an official diagnosis of depression before before you did that? poem in front of a uh, an audience of people no it was actually afterward and was it after it was after pretty it much went- in the same period of doing the poem mm. but it was it was before the poem came out but after I performed it in real life okay and so at, what was the process there was that like did you do the poem and go hmm maybe I should <laughs> talk to someone you know like or or mm-hmm. or did somebody else tell you like hey this is this is probably a good opportunity for you to go talk to someone because it seems like something's up. So that poem took a long time to write. And I think during the writing of it, I was really in a bad depressive episode where I had one episode where I didn't leave my house for like a solid 10 days, I want to say. <laughs> and that's when I called my mom and was like, hey, mom, we, we have to talk. Like something's definitely wrong with me. Like I'm afraid to leave the house. Um, and that's when she was like, okay, you should probably come home for a bit. We should take you to the doctor. and that was the first conversation where that's what kind mm. of spurred me getting the doctor's appointment. It was just like, okay, things are really bad. I'm like living alone and I can't. And and that experience yeah. of like having the conversation with the doctor, what was, what was that like? Um, she was great. To be honest, I felt really comfortable talking. Like, I think it's important to have a doctor you like and you feel some kind of comfort with and talking to her was great. She, was like, okay, let's get you a therapist. Let's figure this all out and let's see if medication starts helping. And so I, I started a medication journey from that point forward. And was that, uh, what, did you find that to be helpful? Like the, the medication yeah. route was like something that was needed and, and worked out? Yeah, I'm, I still take it. I, I find it really helpful. It's, it's definitely, it was, I think I was at a point where without medication, it would have taken so much longer to mm. get, to a functional place where the medication just really helped kickstart that. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you relate? This is actually a question. <clears throat> I asked pretty much the same question when we talked to um, Donna Morrissey a few weeks ago, um, who is a writer and was writing a memoir. Um, how do you relate your struggles with mental health with like your, with how you, how, how art, how your art comes through you in the way that in the way that there is at least pop in pop culture there is this perception of like the like the tortured artist you know the the you know the you know the alcohol or the depression or the whatever you know fill in the blank sort of fuels the the like genius or the 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 work and and the the beauty and everything and then and and which i and which you know, I mean, I guess in my personal opinion, looking at that from like an outside observance, I think like, oh, that fucking sucks because that's something that is oftentimes like suffering. But like then, then the I guess the the, the view is that the suffering fuels this this art. Like, do you, how do you how do you relate to that sentiment? Do you think? Do you feel that? Do you feel that you know the things that you go through are like the source of your art, or they are like a, or are they, you know, just like an aspect? that that works its way into your art because it just simply is a part of you. Yeah, I think 
I think like I'm a depressed person. So the depression is like making its way into every poem I write, whether I'm trying to write about it or not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just there, it's present. Like my, that's my perspective. That's who I am. But I also think there's, there's a level of like, what do I want to bring into my art? And I think I try really hard not to only bring misery into my work like I really try to bring in other emotions <laughs> when I can mm-hmm. uh, it's easy to write when I'm I think part of me just gets obsessed with things and that's what I write about and it's easy Ooh. to write about my own feelings because it's easy to get obsessed with like figuring yourself out and so mm-hmm. that's what I tend to that's the kind of meat and potatoes of my work but if something makes me feel good I also want that to find its way onto the page as well like I don't only want to bring the like tortured artist to yeah. the page I also want to bring the whole full spectrum of myself to it yeah because I, I always think about that whenever I whenever I read about an artist that you know produces this work and then you kind of you know you do the deep dive on where the work comes from what the, what the writer or the artist or whatever is is like as a person what their life has been like and I and I end up thinking to myself like I wonder if they if they, if, you know, they would, they don't want to get rid of whatever the thing is that, that, that society has sort of said fuels their, their work. And, um, and I'm always like, I'm, I'm always curious about like that. Like what, like, I mean, this is, this is, this kind of leads into a question of, of that we usually ask at the end of the, uh, some, a, a sort of question that we ask at the end of the, of, of every episode, but like, you know, if you could, you know, if you could snap your fingers and get rid of depression and anxiety, would you? Uh, I don't think I would. I think I like the view I have of the world. I, I've grown into it now. And I think that's part of it is like caring about um, enough awareness of myself and other people to kind of go through life without burdening anyone with my own feelings. And I think that's a pretty good lesson that I've learned mm-hmm. on how to navigate myself and the world and relationships. Mm-hmm. Do, do you find that when, like, does your work, um, you know, you were saying earlier how after the, the poem went viral where you were talking, um, <clears throat> about talking about depression with your mother, um, that that kind of sent you into a bit of a, a depressive state. Um, do you find that your work still to this day can have a, a negative effect on your mental health? Like, like for example, the release of this book, like as we were recording this, I think we're like two or three weeks out from the release date. Do you, you know, like leading up to those moments, like, are you, are you riddled with anxiety? Are you, is it, is it, is it challenging like coming up to these milestones um, or, or, or is it, or is this the kind of thing that like really fills your cup and, and makes you feel alive? That's a great question. <laughs> yes. I'm extremely nervous. Um, I think I've been in a little bit of a defensive episode just the last little bit as well. So I can relate to what you were saying. Like, you're just like, I don't know. I, I think I'm going through one. Um, and I think that doesn't have anything to do with it, but also does. Um, so it's kind of hard to know, I guess. Yeah. Um, the the one thing I will say is this collection feels less revealing than the, mm. the first collection because I just know I have better boundaries about my writing. And like, I guess 
the best way to explain it would be like Drake said, this one's more of a tell some, not a tell all. Um, where the first one was definitely more of a tell-all. So I, I, as much as I'm anxious and nervous for it to be out in the world, I, I don't feel like I'm giving away my whole self with this book. Where the first one did feel a little bit more like that. Yeah. Did yeah. you and did you purposely set those boundaries, or was that something that naturally happened over the process of writing it? Yeah, I absolutely set those boundaries. Mm. I think any relationship I have that's a current relationship in my life, I have to have boundaries on how I write about it, um, just to respect the other person. Mm, yeah. I was watching a show last night <clears throat> and, uh, one of the main characters is like, a, is like really scholarly and, uh, and they, they, the, the, him and this other character are plotting this thing and it's sort of like they set it into motion and then they're, they're, they're actually sitting, smoking a joint with each other afterwards and, and they're just sitting there in silence and they say to each other, um, one says to the other, um, like, ah, not, there's nothing quite like the melancholy that appears when you are on the brink of a big success. And I was like, holy shit, I've never thought about that. But if I, when I think about that, that's like rings really true. And it's sort of kind of like what we're, I mean, what we're talking about in essence right now in this conversation. <laughs> and then, and then, and then the scene that follows was, it was, this this man's daughter comes down into the kitchen and says, basically like, what's that smell? <laughs> and he says, uh, oh, it's your father's old cigarettes. And he says, are you hungry? And she says, yes. And then there's like a five minute scene where it's just this these two guys and this man's daughter. And it's just him making an omelet from like a zoomed out perspective. And it's like, I don't know, there was just something about the whole scene and how they set it up. But it was all based around this one this one phrase, like the melancholy that comes on the brink of a big success. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It just resonated with me. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And it fits kind of perfectly in this mm-hmm. slot right here. It's funny because like, I, that's a feeling that I know well, you know, like I, I feel like as much as I love my work, sometimes it's like the bane of my existence. You know, like if I'm, if I'm about to do a, a big talk or something like that in front of a large audience, like, it fucking, it ages me, you know, leading up to that moment. Like it is, it is, it's, it's, I don't think it's good for my health, but then when it's over, it, it is, there's some sort of, there's some sort of release that's, mm. that's quite um, euphoric. But I think caring is just draining. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Like you care. That's the saddest yeah. thing I've ever heard yeah, you know, right? because it's so fucking true too. <laughs> you know, like you just care so much yeah. and then you're like, fuck, I'm just, oh my I'm just God, tired dude. because I care yeah. so much. That makes me want to wow. not care about anything. I feel like I care about way too many things. Fuck my life. What do you, uh, what's, what's in your, what's on the horizon for you now, Sabrina? Um, I'm actually working on book three. Amazing. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask, I, cause I've, I have the feeling that we're getting close to wrapping, but I'm, I'm curious how your mom's doing. Yeah. Oh, she's good. We actually, she just had an appointment. She's a year, um, cleared for no surgery. So we'll do another Yay. checkup in a year from now. Yeah. Sweet. Can Amazing. you, can you give me like the Coles notes on what an aneurysm is? Cause I've heard the term so many times and I can never really remember exactly what goes on. It's like something about the walls of the arteries. Um, they're like weakening. And basically what happens is it could burst. Right. Um, and if it bursts, you have a lot of issues. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, uh, Sabrina, I got to say, this has been a real treat to sit down and talk to you. Again, the book is called I Love You, Call Me Back. It is on sale now. Um, and uh, where can people get their hands on the book? And and also, how can people follow along with you and your work? Yeah, so you can pretty much buy the book everywhere books are sold. Um, but I would say go support your indie local bookstore if you can. And um, you can follow me along at badass underscore sab on most social medias. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to sit down and chat with us. This has been really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. This is a pleasure. That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.